0: to the year we started a podcast. It's a podcast board, Phoenix-like. From the ashes of last year's podcast, I am your co-host, Jeff. And your other co-host, Nick. And this is a podcast where we like to come together and talk about some of the things that are fun and issues. Nick, have you eaten your stupid pizza rolls yet? (laughs) Uh, I have. I have. have. Wait. I had one. What?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I had one. I actually meant to bring it up today. I meant to bring it
0: up today. Wow. I was like, Nick, we have, as we spoke before this podcast, had very... Limited amount of content prepared. A uh, little, little flying by. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's a little less than I particularly You're would not prefer. Supposed to call it out. You're not supposed to call it out. I mean, we were very, very prepared. Uh, but I am surprised to hear that you've had a, a pizza roll. Although yeah. you did say a pizza roll singular, which <laughs> leads me to believe perhaps not uh, not the uh, affinity that I would particularly uh, have. No uh assigned to it but
1: jeff i'm sorry i was there. it was i didn't enjoy it at all <laughs> i I made, I made like a plate and i was like uh did you did you just like i said i actually i didn't have one i had i think i had two but like i okay. did not finish my pl-
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you it's okay so which what kind of pizza roll was it just for uh, our listeners think, and I myself think
1: i think it's just the the they, is it a class oh no it's pepperoni it was pepperoni there's i got pepperoni pepperoni, I like pe- pepperoni is quite easy there's like
0: the combination those are the two popular ones um and did you dip it in anything or you just like take it straight no, should
1: i have i i, I don't dip pizza <laughs> it, has, it has red sauce in it right so it's like <laughs>
0: i i think they're better dipped in ranch but honestly if, if uh, it's, it's okay it's okay and Like honestly oh, so so you, you i grew could up totally in life. see that i could totally yeah. see that okay it definitely helps. It definitely helps. Well, can I tell a- you that
1: it was a weird experience for me because I did it without my like without my wife home, and I obviously don't see anybody right now. It's freaking dumb, wife, <laughs> or I was and so I was like alone in my house, and I was like, oh, I mean, I keep meaning to do this. All right, I, I got to do it, and I made pizza rolls by myself. Had two, and it was like. I didn't like this. I'm gonna throw these out. <laughs>
0: that's like, this is a, weird. <laughs> that's like a new level of depressing. <laughs> like, I'm, <not> gonna lie. <laughs> I'm a 29 year old like, man. That's like, hey, you know what? It's been a hard couple, you know, a year and a half. Here, I want to try. It out. Like it's been a, a year deprived of novel experience. Oh. I would like to try this new novel experience of having a pizza roll by myself. I don't and like it. I it's didn't no, do it. It's no <laughs> bueno. Okay, well. <laughs> it's less- it's fine. It's fine, I, Nick.
1: I gave it the old college try. I uh, <laughs> apologize to our viewers. <laughs> I apologize. Ah, man.
0: <laughs> it's okay, Nick. You're you're a more sophisticated person than the the lot of us that's i
1: i don't think so i think doubt. i just i was just lucky enough to catch this one when i'm old like i trust me like i could still eat like a i could still eat like a 711 pizza or whatever okay. <laughs> and be okay and i'm sure it's basically the same thing but like i've normalized that to myself you know i haven't had it in a long <laughs> time but i bet you that if i picked one up right now i'd be like yeah it's the same as it was when i was 16 whatever who cares
0: ah uh, yeah well it's it's very sad, but I I feel like this is this is the end of the pizza roll saga. Uh, it's fine, yeah. it, you know. It's okay. We all, um, all got to move along. We all got to move along, and, uh, including this podcast. Nick, I we talked. I think even in our very first episode of my uh, intake of podcasts as a thing that I have ramped up over the past i don't know it's probably been 3 4 years where i've really started uh listening to more and more um i have a I had a couple backlogs of podcasts that i was catching you up did. on i did. did and i done caught up uh on everything and okay. i that left an interesting void nick oh yeah
1: and, and I don't you know why i said oh yeah uh Oh, yeah, like, I didn't know this. We already talked you about this. Yeah. Yes,
0: because here's what happened is I got to the point where, I, like, it, it happened very slowly and then all at once, as many things do in life. <laughs> I... I caught up finally on uh, many a backlog, and I finally got to the point where I really was only listening to things that were freshly coming out. And there was a very, very short time I would say about half a week where I only listened to like new podcasts as they got released. Um, but that lasted very shortly, and I realized quickly that I needed to have something else because uh, again like I said like we talked about this early on like I, I joke about it but it's a real thing like I can't if I'm tasked with taking out the trash at night like I'm not going to be without something to listen to as I do it exactly that's that that is <laughs> the 21st century I've said it before
1: but I, I will not be alone with my, my thoughts okay? it's <laughs> exactly the most
0: terrifying thing. hey Nick you know what? a high five good job five. At remembering <laughs> how you responded to that originally <laughs> half a year ago or almost a year ago now almost Um, I I knew that I wanted to do something else other than just get addicted to whatever other podcast there was. And so I wanted to get back into reading. And by reading, I mean listening. But same idea, I guess. I did um, read a little bit
1: while we, t- we were doing this. but Yeah, I, do, I,
0: yeah. I guess before we dive into this, do you feel like um, you get the same experience reading a book physically versus listening to a book? Or do you feel differently than, than that?
1: Different. But I can't quantify it like if I'm have a better comprehension or not. I like to th- I would think that I would have better comprehension reading than listening. Uh but to to an audiobook. Um, but I'm not sure of that actually, because I felt pretty good uh about listening uh to the, the couple audiobooks. What I will say is that I do deliberately go backwards if I zone out and miss like a sentence or two. I will like I, I will just hit rewind or whatever on the, on audible. Um, and that works okay for me in that regard. I don't know if that's just a weird Nick issue of like feeling like I can't miss any little detail. Um, but it, it may be like offsetting it a little bit or helping me catch back up to that level of comprehension and retention.
0: I don't know. Is it a particular, uh, like genre of literature that that is true for, or is that broadly speaking true? Cause like, uh, and while, while you think about that, I, I personally have the exact same thing where um, with audiobooks, I do zone out and realize that I've zoned out and do rewind. But to be honest, I almost feel like I do the same thing reading it physically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and like, I, I feel like sometimes when I read physically, I just read an entire page and I don't even realize what has happened. And I just go back and do it. And, there are definitely certain things to me that I feel like lend themselves better toward physical medium, but I don't know that I can necessarily put my finger on it. But I think by and large, for me personally anyways, I don't really draw much of a distinction of benefits one way or the other. Like I feel like I feel like I can have the same experience listening to it for 95%, 90, 90% of books that I would have if I were to read them physically also – I do feel like it is different in some ways. I do feel like certain things lend themselves to be more impactful and memorable and um, there there is a book uh, that I have read only f- well actually that's not true like I've I have bought the audiobook and have the physical book and I much more enjoy reading the physical book than listening to it. Um, so
1: is is I'm not like I don't want to throw any uh, anybody under the bu- uh bus any narrators but is it because of the 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 narrator because I I feel like there's some narrators that I, that I like mentally can't get along with not because they are like they have offended me, but just for whatever reason, their cadence or their speech patterns or whatever, or their voice just doesn't click and I
0: can't pay that much attention. Um I actually so I don't think there's anyone that I would consider to be the negative to that. There are actually um probably this is probably opposite of what you're trying to say, but um There is – there's a particular book, which we'll talk about later, but um, The Brief History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson is narrated by a guy who I should probably Google real quick. Uh, Actually, I'll just look at my phone. Um, Oh, well, now he's talking very fast. Hold on. Um, It's read by uh, Richard Matthews and I've never felt this way before, but like I almost – like I haven't done this yet, but I very well may. I almost Google just books that he uh, narrates because he's so good. Like, I love how he does Damn. that book. Like, it is, and, and Nick, we'll talk about this in a second. Like, I don't listen. I don't, I don't watch movies a second time. Oh, yeah. I don't read books a second time. I've listened to the vast majority of this book for a second time, mostly because of how good he narrates this book. So. Right i'm not sure that i would necessarily be turned off i mean there's definitely that obviously there's a threshold to all these absolutes that i'm saying but like i don't think it would necessarily yeah. be that I'd be turned off from it but it would be more like i definitely can get more engaged if the uh narrator is particularly good at uh the the audiobook
1: no i i completely agree with that um do you remember uh I guess it's two years ago now geez i had a i had a period of time where i was i think this is when i started listening to the podcast that you recommended to me um i had a period of time where i was traveling a lot and i was like starved for things to do at airports um mm-hmm. and there was a uh so I, I you know that i'm a song of ice and fire fan uh They have some short novellas. George has some short novellas that are set in the same world, but they're like a hundred years before the, um, uh, before the books are not a hundred, it's like 60 years or something like that, um, called Duncan Egg. Okay. And they're short. And I got the audiobook for, uh, Duncan Egg. And I knocked it out on one plane ride. And I was like, wait, no, I don't want it to be done. This is so good. This guy is narrating it. I'm like, I'm in with this. This guy is, like, made it alive. And, like, the, every character had just, like, a little bit more subtle of a voice than, the, than everybody else's. But at the same time, they weren't goofy or, like, you know, unrealistic. It didn't feel cartoonish in that way. And that's not to criticize anyone who's, you know, giving that energy. But just it, it made it very dramatic. And I was, like, really on, my, on the edge of my seat. And the reason I say is, I had to, to fly again like two days later, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll listen again. It's fine." I'll just listen
0: again. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. It yeah. really is.
1: To, to your point about the the great narrator kind of making it more fun and uh, alive for, for you. So,
0: okay, I I want to I want to okay, I want to set the scene though a little bit. So, I have over the past, I think it's been, I I really got into podcasts uh, back in like two thousand and. 15 i want to say like that was when i first okay. started listening to podcasts and it's like grown podcast by podcast since then uh up until the point where we made our own uh, at this point um i i i always knew that it was something that i had edged out a fair amount of time in my day-to-day to listen to um but I've never gotten to the point where I'd actually completely caught up on something. Uh, And it wasn't honestly until like maybe three years ago where I started getting into podcasts that were not new and so they had a backlog and so I was listening to the backlog and was getting caught up on things. This is the first time where I haven't really added anything new that had a backlog or at least a backlog that I was particularly interested in catching up on. And so when I caught up, I I feel like I walked up to a chasm of, like, the amount of time in my life that I did not have anything to listen to. <laughs> like, I don't particularly care. Like, I, obviously, I, like, music is great, but, like, I'm, I've gotten so used to not listening to music, driving into work and stuff like that. So, Nick, I talked to you uh, – I wanted to listen – I wanted to switch over to some books for a while. I haven't – I mean I've, I've read books over the years like uh, occasionally but like definitely less than I would like to. Um, and I feel like I <laughs> slang shot myself on the exact opposite end of the spectrum this past you did. week. This you past week. It. <laughs> this past week, literally since we've recorded last time, which is about the time that I caught up, I've listened to – approximately five books in seven days. Why?
1: <laughs> I only knew about three and a half. I didn't know if you finished the the, um, the of everything. Oh, my gosh.
0: I So I haven't completely finished a couple of them, um, but one of them I already listened to, so I feel like it's okay if I skip out a little bit, like skip here and there. Yeah. Uh, there, there I knew there were parts that I didn't like as much, so I kind of skipped through it. Okay. Um, and, and the last one, the fifth one, um, I'm like, I don't know. A few hours from finishing, Um but anyway. So I, at at Nick's recommendation, um, I lis- I listened to what was it first? Slaughter Slaughterhouse five? five. Yep. And who's that by Nick? That's by Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut, uh, who also did did I read any of Kurt? Yeah, I, we also listened to Animal Farm. Uh, I I listened. To that's Animal not Farm. that's not a Kurt Vonnegut. Not though. Kurt Vonnegut.
1: That's uh that's that's Orwell. Did uh hold on. Vonnegut's written a, a bunch of other stuff, but I don't think that we talked about any of his other work. I don't so think th- I've that actually That was the only
0: Vonnegut one that we listened to yes. or read. Okay, so Slaughterhouse-Five is Vonnegut. Um, and then Orwell, which was Animal Farm in 1984. Uh, I listened to both of those.
1: I only listened to Animal Farm. I didn't find
0: enough time for five books this last week. <laughs> <laughs> this past <laughs> seven days. Um, I read oh the gosh. majority of a brief, a, brief, a brief History of Nearly Everything uh, by Bill Bryce, which i really really enjoyed and recommend um and then made in america uh which was also a bill bryson novel that i have not read all of yet or i guess not novel it's it's nonfiction. um it just talks about how the early americas happened and then uh, going into more modern stuff uh and what i'm going i'll tell you go ahead, like what i'm going to dive into after all this nick is uh i'm going to reread with my brother who has not read this before oh, uh hitchhiker's guide to the universe have you read any of the hitchhiker's guide I stuff i have
1: i've only read the first uh, the first one but i love the first you've one you've
0: only read the first one okay nick yeah. you need to go through this like i i also have i think i've read like 3 of them i don't know how many there are i i do genuinely like i adore the first book in that series it's uh, so fun Douglas Adams is flipping the best. Uh, I, I loved how he writes so much. And I, I love the idea of going through this with somebody so who hasn't read it before. Really but fun. I also want to dive. I I've, I don't think I've ever actually focused in and read through the entire series. And now that I apparently can go through five books a week, I feel like <laughs> I, can, I can maybe make it through. Uh, so that's what we're going to listen to next. But, Nick, of those five, so Made in America, Brief History of Nearly Everything, Animal Farm, 1984, Slaughterhouse-Five, You've read a handful of those. Any of them that you particularly found, it like worth talking about on here or yeah? Let's, uh, let's
1: talk about let's talk about the two that I just read to. Um, so I didn't re- I didn't listen to Nineteen Eighty-Four uh, with you this time. I've re- I've read it twice before in my life, but I, it's, it has been a while. Um, but actually, I, hold on. Before we dive into this,
0: yeah, the reason for me picking many of these were they were <laughs> things that I have had. As things that I know that any any person that considers themselves to be well read should have read at this point in their lives, honestly, probably a decade before. And i I just, for whatever reason, have never got around to it. And I, I feel like, you know, I've caught up on all these uh, podcasts and I have a lot of time that apparently (laughs) that I can spend catching up on this stuff. And like, I really, I like the idea of catching up on these things that that are like common to the discourse of how we talk about literature and stuff like that. And so I wanted to catch up on all this stuff. I really, really enjoyed uh, both uh, Slaughterhouse-Five and Animal Farm in 1984 and the other things I talked about, but. Um, anyways Nick uh, slaughterhouse five animal farm takeaways they're kind of similar right yeah like, well yeah
1: and they're, they're very concerned with a similar time period right they're both con- I mean uh slaughterhouse five isn't explicitly concerned with World War II, and in fact World War two is kind of like the back burner of the idea of it it's not like really uh central to it but um it is concerned with early 20th century uh Europe and slaughterhouse five takes a lot of time where uh, our our boy Pilly, Billy Pilgrim is living in uh or not living in but like fighting in uh World War II in 1940s uh Europe right so there's there's definitely a similarity there and then uh Vonnegut and uh Orwell are, I think they have similar like political views and uh Vonnegut is uh I mean th- they both have that that air of like I, I don't know it's, it's like they're both parodies in their own way right they're both like kind of a parody of and like a, a cr- critical parody of things about that time period right so I, I think that they're like bound to have a lot of similar feels
0: um so let's talk about slaughterhouse up five here for a second so yes um i a couple thoughts one kurt vonnegut writes this in a way that definitely sounds like it's supposed to be an anti-war novel. And by all accounts, I mean, it is. That is what it is. Um, But I feel like it's in the same sense that any war novel is that. Like I right. don't know exactly how to put that into words, I, but um, I,
1: I, I I don't think... know that you'll ever find a soldier who uh, like lived through World War II and like really saw some bad things in World War II and was like stoked about it. <laughs> right? That's
0: that's what I mean. Like it it is anti-war, quote unquote, in the sense that like yeah, war sucked so bad and traumatized people beyond recognition. And I don't I don't I. I I don't, I don't really know exactly how to say it, but like I don't feel I, like it was more anti-war than any war novel is in this right. like because it is horrifying. Like the whole, well, I mean, maybe maybe there were certain points that were commentary that are nuanced to specifically that novel, but like to me, it felt like it was just talking about war and war by and large sucks. <laughs> like there's <Right>. just like <laughs> it is traumatizing. It is terrible, Um and. I, I particularly found the the way that the novel is written uh, to be uh, memorable in a sense that very few novels stick to like the uh, what I'm getting at is the 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 tone of the novel is like kind of detached from the tragedy uh of war and the, the tragedy of suffering. Am I crazy in
1: that it feels like a third body like you're you're like having a, a an out-of-body experience it, that as is Billy perfect, Pilgrim.
0: That is a perfect way to to, to state that. It yeah. is you're you're talking about all these things as if they are matter of fact. And anytime that there is suffering or death or etc, uh it's just the the what has happened is stated very matter-of-factly and it is followed by so it goes.
1: Right. it's it, it's bizarre. The prose of it is so bizarre because it's not what we're used to in terms of uh, and I'm sure it's intentional in that way, but the the prose were so used to uh you know a, a fellow soldier dying in arms and it being like this brutal scene or this touching heart-wrenching scene and instead it's and the Germans shot the two scouts in the back of the head. So it so goes. So it goes. And it's just that's, that's it. It's just like a blank statement of fact. It's like did you did you read and, this
0: or listen to it?
1: Uh, I, so I listened to almost all of it. I read. Okay. Uh, I read maybe like fifty pages of it.
0: It is, man. I I tell you what. The listening to this book was, I, I think the best way to experience it because, I feel like if you were to read it. Uh, you can gloss over the so it goes uh more so than if you uh, maybe, and this is maybe not true because I didn't read it actually but I just listened to it but I felt like it was very impactful hearing like just hearing this terrible uh explanation of the things that had happened and then just casually going over so it goes yeah
1: and, I definitely feel like it ex- ex- enhanced it like I mean I, I definitely didn't get the the uh, the the st- The effect that you're looking for is certainly there in the the novel form um but i i don't feel like it was taken away from or if anything it was probably enhanced by the the audio form
0: let's pop over to 1984 i really 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 enjoyed that book um i know you haven't reread it recently but it is it is (laughs) by my estimate one of the most like Mm, concerning uh, (laughs) dystopia novels that I've read in a long time. Yeah. Because if I feel like how uh, accurate it is for very many countries in our uh, world today and how terrifying that that sort of thing is and is honestly probably more possible today than it was back in the uh, late 40s when it was written uh, by Orwell. Like, I feel like today is much more easily, easily... uh done to manipulate uh public opinion and information and etc i mean we see that happening in numerous countries right now uh where dictators are being uh propped up and ideologies preserved and etc like that was like it it obviously was something that was concerning back then enough so to write about but now feels like my gosh, like that is, it is it is chillingly accurate. Some of the things that happened in that book, uh, I don't know. It's just I wanted to just quickly touch on that. No, as that's
1: that's perfectly fair. And um, I mean, so uh, my my English professor in college when I first went and I talked about this book, and one of the things she said that like I still remember to this day is that you have to imagine that um, that Orwell was imagining technological advances. That dictators would use specifically for the the uh, like suppression of information, for the ability to uh, distribute propaganda and agitprop more effectively, to control the masses and monitor the masses better, and all of his estimations were below what just naturally happened <laughs> which is a it, terrifying thing i mean like it's not perfectly true we don't have cameras in everybody's homes watching every corner of every room but like we but could it's
0: worse almost worse than that though yeah we like, could <laughs>
1: they could like it could happen like dude i know that like uh you know covering your your laptop uh camera is more about like hackers than it is about the government but like dude Every laptop comes with a webcam. Every single one. I have three webcams in this room with me right now.
0: Well, and Nick, like, I'll, I, th- I would say that doesn't even matter. Like, you don't need video. That that is yeah. so. Like, that is that is 1950s speaking. Uh, like through like how that lens, like uh, through yeah. that lens, is how that matters. Like today, Nick, they don't give a flip what you are doing. Like physic, like visually like they have your search data like i don't want yeah. to get too conspiracy theory sounded but like you can build fantastic models that are very attention grabbing without seeing the person at all like that's 100%. not required 100%. at all like it used to like people used to think like you'd have to have your voice recorded and your your video recorded in order for them to be able to take advantage of that that's not the case like just how you use no. your smartphone is plenty good like you can you can be plenty taken advantage of by advertising or other influential things without Having to you know have, see what you're doing uh, for ninety five percent of your room as is in the case of nineteen eighty four but yeah yep I don't anyways um, you had really thoughts, you had thoughts on Animal Farm I uh, this is a very short book
1: yes I I really enjoyed rereading it with a better understanding of Russian history um, like. I have a better framework for Tsarist Russia pre World War 1 and pre Russian Revolution than I did before and I know that like the period of Animal Farm which takes place like ostensibly uh in Tsarist Russia is very short but it's like a it's it's actually like a really really good uh comparison that the animals compared to the the owner of the, the home where the where the Tsarist uh the Tsar Nicholas and his uh his forebears were just like incredibly exploitative of the uh working class and peasant class and whatever else of Russia, um, and just completely unconcerned with their well being. Um
0: the and, and Dude, uh, a lot of can we can we pause just for a second and yeah. can you explain like the structure of the book? Because I feel like when you hear these sorts of things, like you see hear Animal Farm and that sounds like a catchy title to a novel that's about, you know, just normal stuff, but like is about like but in this case it is not just a catchy catchy title to a book. It is about animal farm like that is the structure of the narrative
1: right so the the book is about uh a farm of animals and like it's taking place from the perspective of the animals the animals are sentient and can uh, can communicate and all that good stuff and the um animals are a uh a metaphor for the people of russia um during slightly before and after the russian revolution in uh 1918 uh and they are working – they work live on this farm where they are, you know, uh, milked and slaughtered and bred and whatever and worked uh, on this farm, whether they're a horse, pig, uh, cow or whatever, for a farmer named Farmer Jones. And Farmer Jones is representing the uh, Tsar the of Russia at the time who is like one of those – like the way that we look back and we're like oh god no wonder uh france (laughs) over uh, overthrew its uh its monarchy it's the same same thing with czarist russia they're they're just wildly uh out of control monarchy um and uh so the the russian revolution happens and the, the same way the animals take control of the farm they take the control of the farm and then things degrade gradually and terribly from there uh to a scenario where essentially things are the same or worse as they were under, uh, farmer, Nick, uh, farmer <laughs> Jones. I said, I was going to say farmer Nicholas, like czar Nicholas, except
0: farmer <laughs> Nicholas, farmer
1: Nicholas. <laughs> Wait, that's me. Oh no.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh no. Uh,
1: but yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, the ruling class of the pigs in the, uh, in animal farm become the ruling class of the USSR. Um, uh, with a pretty direct n- metaphor for Stalin. And um, yeah. I cannot remember uh, Trotsky, but Trotsky is out of the picture early on in the book. And um, I cannot remember for the life of me, the uh, Stalin's propagandist's name, uh, who is um, the the sweet-talking, like, silver-tongued pig in the book.
0: Yeah, I can't either. So, <laughs> yeah. but I, so one of the things that was
1: fun for me this time was that, uh, you know, I have a slightly better framework of, like, the, the terrible things that Stalin did and whatever else, right? But uh, during the book, I would be like, is this an allusion to something? Like, what's the deal with this whole, like, pretend, like, trade war issue with the other farms? That At some point in time, the the pigs start uh, getting these two farms nearby to bid against each other for some of the things that the farm is producing. And what it was, was an allegory for, uh, for mostly for Germany The that the, the battle that they have is like when, uh, is like the battle of Stalingrad, uh, when, or Leningrad, Leningrad, I don't remember, uh, when Germany invaded Russia, um, in World War II. And I, I didn't realize that at the time. Um, and the, uh, the ejection, the attack on snowball is Stalin's seize of power. And, uh, yeah, just, just I, all these so, very specific things.
0: That so my takeaway was is that I am too uneducated on the the events that it's referencing to be able to completely uh, appreciate it. Like I I definitely felt that sort of thing where it was like, I feel like this is in reference to something I'm not well educated enough to understand what it is <laughs> in reference to. Uh, which, you know, maybe being a little bit vulnerable there, but like I do No, you're like I it was very enjoyable, but of the three, uh, I found that to be the least impactful um, because it was more. Uh, it was it was less direct. Nineteen Eighty-Four by Orwell Fair. was very direct. I felt like uh, yeah. an understanding of what that was about, and Slaughterhouse-Five, in the same sense, obvious. Oh, like of of the three, obviously that was the most direct. Like flipping, just talking about stories about people dying. Um. Right.
1: So I, 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 apologize. I don't want to keep talking over you, but what, what I like about, um, about Animal Farm is that it is, uh, it, and Orwell wrote it specifically with this intention that it would be approachable for anyone, even who didn't know anything about it. And like, you can get the message of, uh, I mean, the, the message is very heavily, heavy handed and like simply laid bare of like, yeah, the pigs pretend to be on the, the side of all of the animals, but they're not. They're just yeah. as bad as a farmer, and they, like, show... And it's very heavy-handed with what the what the propaganda is, and, like, how they're, the, the animals are being deceived. It's not, like, a subtle thing that you have to, like, oh, shoot, are they lying to the, the other animals? It's very apparent that, like, you know, the pigs are stealing the milk for themselves because, you know, they're I just pigs. I
0: feel like you like you. You understood what it was referencing more directly. And maybe it, maybe That's that fair. wasn't the intention. Uh, like maybe the intention was not to reference modern things that were happening at that time. But uh, I got the feeling that like I definitely understood what was happening. Oh, but yeah. I definitely didn't. I didn't have, I didn't know enough uh, like to tie it to real life things, and I felt like it should be. Maybe that was on me more than anything, but uh, no, I don't know. You're, you're I, totally fine. The, the other ones, I felt, I felt more of an emotional impact, and I felt like it could relate to uh, more easily. But they were all good. I really enjoyed them. Um, I really yeah. enjoyed the other two books too. Uh, I definitely recommend them as well. Um, at least at this point, on uh, Made in America, and I. Brief History of Nearly Everything is one of my favorite, most favorite, uh, nonfiction books. Um, so if you ever, I, I can't, like, I've texted really Nick passively. That. Yeah. I, do okay, but do you, Nick? I, <laughs> I feel like I've, I've passively, like, tried to trick you into reading it or saying that you want to read it before.
1: No, no, no. I actually really do. Um, I'm terrible. Um, I'm, I'm like a sucker for fiction. I try really hard to, to like nonfiction. Um, and like, I, I my my dumb my dumb lizard brain is like, ooh, but a story with a bad guy. <laughs> you know what I mean like <laughs> um, like all of your quotes are very all of them were very like insightful and and uh charming and funny and like, oh I, I want to get more of that. but then I was like, okay, but
0: okay, but, but you can do anything else <laughs> i if if you are ever going to tackle a big work of nonfiction, I cannot recommend anything more than a brief history of nearly everything. It is so cleverly written and entertainingly uh, like just it is it is a very, 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 very good book uh, for sure.
1: Um, so let me um, let me say two things. One, as it sounds like it, and, or well, I guess three things two uh of, of the books we've talked about i'd say animal farm is the least compelling but it's very interesting to kind of see direct comparisons to things that happened because i think that sometimes um european history for us americans and history around world war one or one two uh are very like they're hard to parse and animal farm makes it easy it's just like yeah these guys took power and the bad the last guy was bad and so are they and it, it's good in that way and that is very approachable but i would say it's probably the least compelling of the books that we've talked about and the last thing is have you read um the remains of the day no i have not oh that's another world war ii book you got to read but it's not it's not at all in the same line as these books um what is it called? I, it's called the remains of the day um it's won a lot of awards won like a booker award um and it's ostensibly sort of about post-world war ii britain um it's the from the perspective of a butler from uh, uh, who worked in a uh, a house of a uh like i think he's a lord uh, it's been a while since i read that as well not not as long as since 1984 but that is a great book that is not that long i think it's 300 400 pages somewhere in that range um that if you need something after you get started with Hitcher Hager's guide it is touching and you'll love it because there's a lot of th- fatherhood themes in there but not it it, and like i know that you will appreciate it as a father you know what i mean
0: um yeah the remains of the day let me make sure that it is an audible thing i'm sure it is has to be oops i bought it okay good oops you bought it (laughs) oops i bought it and apparently uh how i have to do this i have also bought two other books that i have not actually bought yet thanks audible (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um but no, yeah, like I like that. That that's, that sounds right up my alley of the things that I've done recently, so Yeah. Um, Nick really okay, man, really briefly, because I don't know exactly how much of that we will keep in uh because people can only listen to us talk about books that we've read recently no, that, for so fair. long. That's fair. Um I This is our book r-
1: club uh podcast. I'm sorry. Oh. This, is a,
0: yeah, this is a book club podcast. Uh brought to you by audible.com. Uh, audible.com please
1: please sponsor us (laughs) please give me money
0: yeah audible (laughs) come on now i've given you money right here during the podcast even
1: just free credits please
0: (laughs) i could use the credits (laughs) (laughs) give me the credits um i wanted to talk about one of my favorite things from listening to bill bryson's book Uh, Brief history of everything back when I originally done it and got reminded of when I listened to it a second time, which is there is a guy back in um, the uh, like it was like 1990s or 1980s where he uh, was one of the first people to really get into spotting supernovas. This was actually a thing that I was considering being a, a main topic. Uh, I just didn't really feel like I had enough uh, meat on the bones to be a main topic. Uh, if you, so you, do you know what a supernova is, Nick? Maybe, could no. you could you, could you give a definition? Nope. Nope. Definitely not. So a supernova is when a star is uh, in its last days and collapsing upon itself. And it explodes in very spectacular fashion. And prior to like the, uh, like Late 1990s or early 2000s, the only way that people could recognize that that was happening was uh, by mapping out all the stars and how bright they were, and and then re going over the skies by hand and seeing what had changed and see if there's anything more bright than what had originally happened. Okay, and I say that to say like it, it definitely was a thing that people would like document on paper and stuff like that. But by and large, the number, like the supernovas were detected by people that regularly looked at the sky and realized that something had changed, which I think was really interesting. Um, Like just to to know that people knew the sky so well, knew galaxies that were, you know, millions of light years away or whatever. uh, They knew them so well that they would be able to recognize, like, hey, that star is much, much brighter than it was last time I looked at this, you know, a week ago or a month ago or whatever. So that's how, like, detecting supernovas were back, uh, like, in the 80s and early 90s. Okay. Pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: What I really, really liked was because like nick you you and i we both like sports right like they're like we enjoy regardless of who that what team they play for or what sport it is like if there is a great player among all like of all time it is super super interesting to to know about these people go ahead you yes started I, it right.
1: I, I just i, I didn't want to get it so was it like an intuitive process to, to notice it then i'm sorry did i miss that like you said that you, they, that people would just notice that that, br- that star is brighter. So, like, were we just documenting this as, like, an intuitive, like, a... Well, not even an intuitive, but just as an observational thing? Like, we didn't have... Did we have instruments to, like, know for sure that things... That, that the supernovas had occurred, or...
0: So we mapped the sky um, over the years in the the early 1900s. Honestly, a little bit earlier, I think. Uh, Like late 1800s, early 1900s, we started mapping the sky. And so we would know if somebody were to be able to spot something that it was outside the norm. But to be able to notice that, like you had to have a very good understanding or – be taking really good records of things to cross-reference the uh, existing mapping of the sky. That,
1: that makes more sense. I, yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't considered the idea that we could map the sky, like pre, you know, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure.
0: Okay, so there was this guy named um, Robert Evans, and at the time that he started doing um, his astronomy, he he did it as like a pastime; it was not his main job or anything like that. Um, It was just like in his backyard. Um, There were something like uh, 50 or so supernova that had been discovered. And I just want to read this quote and I want to talk about like what he did. There's something satisfying, I think, about the idea of light traveling millions of years through space. And just at the right moment, as it reaches Earth, someone looks at the right bit of the sky and sees it. It just seems right that the event of the, of that magnitude should be witnessed. In reference to uh, of the supernova, yeah, a, a star collapsing on itself and exploding, and uh, just. It is by all means a very spectacular thing. I very well may make an entire main topic of this because there have been super or there have been certain supernova that have been particularly interesting uh, in the 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 sky of Earth. I, I don't want to spoil too much. There's actually really interesting things, but like we're already <laughs> recording oh, good. a good uh, three quarters of an hour in. But what I loved about Robert Evans was – he was a by all definitions a savant at finding supernova by hand he was very had a very spectacular memory he had a very uh, modest uh, telescope setup he started being like his very first supernova that he detected was with a 12 inch telescope, which is like literally nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, back when, like, I like I said before, I think there was like maybe, I don't know, 50 or so, 30 or so, uh, supernova that had been discovered. And uh, he eventually with his like 30 inch telescope discovered some more. He throughout his life, um, he, he, I, I didn't see if he was still alive, but definitely was up until recently. He discovered like three supernova every year at a a particular point, which was absolutely crazy because for the prior like hundred years of knowing that it was a thing, there was only 30 and he was like finding, you know, multiple per year. And he was doing it like completely by himself as an amateur with his own notes, taking like uh like writing down where certain stars were in galaxies and stuff like that. And the thing that I loved about him so much was he, he continued to do this by the time that, uh, so there was a particular breaking point. There was a breaking point where, uh, it used to be that everybody had to do this by hand, like, or by, you know, by themselves, by their own notes and stuff like that to detect these things. Um, and then in the like nineties, they started being able to do this automatically, like through oh, okay. like through computers being that able to sense. take take pictures of skies and then take pictures of skies later on and see what was more bright and then determine if that was a supernova or not. so it it originally uh, was very manual and then became automated and is very automated to this day. And what I loved about him was, Obviously, he knew going into uh, you know into the early aughts that this was a thing that was going to be completely automated, and he got asked whether or not he would ever like try to do some of the more automated versions of this, and he said that he w- didn't want to because he liked the romantic idea of finding Washing. these things like at, in your own backyard and your own little patch of the sky that you care about more than any other automated thing will ever care about. And finding these things. And very, I like that too. very far into him discovering these uh, supernova, he, he – like even though that they were automated ones being found, he still was the first to find very many supernova. And like, continued to do that, like beating these uh, automated versions because it was just his part of the sky that he was very, very familiar with. And continued to be a person who discovered all these things. It was just—it was a very heartwarming thing. This is very cool. Like, this is a very—it's yeah. a very, very special thing in the universe to happen. I, like again, if I if I talk about an entire episode, uh, the, it could be an entire episode that we talk about supernova stuff. But the the rarity that that is, and how good he was at finding them. He found in his lifetime, like, just an astronomical number compared to any anybody else by hand. Like, probably, I don't know the actual numbers here, but I think he's found, like, 70 or 80 of these by hand. And Damn. there have been, like, probably five is the most of any other person by hand of the entirety of history. That's crazy. He, he is just, and again, as an uh, a amateur astronomer, to be able to find all these things. It's just so crazy. That's, that's I, I loved it. It was so cool.
1: That is a that's a really, really cool like it's a really cool quarter of the world and niche for himself that he's carved out. Because I, I that's what I'm saying is like I don't that's what I'm saying, but that's something that I, I really appreciate and love and that I think we forget about sometimes that a lot of people are engaged in stuff. Like we have such a specialized, wide reaching society that we have a lot of people doing work that very few people might even know about or understand or care about. And like the way that I understand it now, after just like a 10 minute, five minute explanation from you is still nothing compared to him who knows his section of the sky so well that he can document, you know, Right, It's crazy automated system. That's, that's really cool, man.
0: Can catch them by, by eye like uh, like he just realizes yeah. like oh i've looked at this you know a hundred times and now i realize way that this too thing bright. is here he's like, like yelling that's to that's his that's wife
1: like why <laughs> not it's way too bright it's way too b-
0: <laughs> no it's incredibly special incredibly heartwarming and i just i uh, having read all these books <laughs> uh this was my favorite like takeaway from the real world of like man like this guy is like the most heartwarming dude, like just doing science as an amateur better than what automated things can do. And for the love of it, he doesn't for have to. For the love of it, exactly. Fu- it's for nothing. Probably it. it's, yeah. it's probably probably completely monetarily in like just nothing for him. But he just loves doing it. And, and what a cool science thing because it, it is exceedingly rare even with yeah. automated technology.
1: That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Uh, Jeff, what's your opinion on light bulbs? Uh,
0: 10 out of 10 fan. 10 out of 10 fan. Uh, I do like. I'll tell you what. Here's. Can't, uh, I know this is probably not <laughs> what you wanted to start with. Um, yeah. We have moved two times in the past five years. Uh, and here's what I have decided that I like about uh, moving is the opportunity to replace every... Light bulb in my house with the brightest version of itself uh, <laughs> possible. Like I mean, within reason, obviously you can yeah, buy yeah. more, but like I I love. So we have had some stuff in our storage room where we've had to do some work, and I got so annoyed by the old light bulbs that we had that were probably like sixty watt, terrible whatever light bulbs, and I went to. Our local big box store and bought some uh, very bright versions, uh, like LED spread lights, and it like literally turned that thing into a theater. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind
1: of it's kind of crazy when you put in like new bright LEDs, right?
0: Yeah, and it literally made things so much easier to work in, in that environment as compared to what it was before. So I I like me some bright light bulbs. So that's the the context I will give you.
1: Okay. Well, uh what I uh, I agree with you. Um I like having LEDs. Do you do you uh, do you feel like we don't have to replace light bulbs near like I mean obviously LEDs are supposed to last for forever, but even if if you have the odd, uh incandescent, do you feel like it's just super chill and you don't have to think about it that much anymore
0: yeah honestly i don't even think i have incandescent bulbs anymore i think they're all leds and i don't know the only the only time that i've ever replaced a light bulb in probably the last five years is replacing incandescent bulbs with leds so like i that's not it is a one-time replacement at, at least at this point in my life
1: yep okay so uh, we could actually do a podcast topic just on uh on the the weirdness of the light bulb industry and the freakouts as LEDs became popular <laughs> because they're supposed to be like I saw read a quote in this whole thing about how uh LEDs were going to be the first consumer product that was a one-time purchase and uh anyways let's not do that uh th- not because it's not a worthwhile topic or we should we should avoid it or anything like that but. I have uh, stuff about old old light bulb technology stuff that I think is really interesting, and it's not really about technology. Jeff, have you heard of the Phoebus Cartel? I have
0: not heard of that. <laughs> what, um, is, what is that?
1: So, so, the Phoebus Cartel was a group of uh, light bulb manufacturing companies that basically... That, so, I believe at this time, uh, Cartel did not have the giant negative stigma that it, it has now. Uh, but in uh 1925 a bunch of big name uh uh big name uh light bulb manufacturing and electric manufacturing companies uh Osram, General Electric, uh, Associated Electrical Industries and Philips and others heard of them. Uh, yep as um global uh distribution of uh, of products was becoming more and more normal in the, in the 20s and the uh, early 1900s in general um as these companies were starting to compete with each other on international lines these companies came together to basically collude to fix markets and to influence the the light bulb manufacturer uh, or the light bulb industry uh, for their increased profits and benefits. Uh, and they called themselves the Phoebus Cartel, which I think is just like to me. It was like when I read about it, I was like, Are we seriously? Is there seriously like a nefarious <laughs> light bulb gang? What what is that? <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so th- there is a back in the 1920s there was a group of uh light bulb manufacturers that uh were hellbent on uh conspiring together to increase their own profits by one uh staying out of each other's territory and uh div- dividing up the world into their own markets so that they didn't have to uh let me find the, the exact quote here for it um da 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 Organizations coordinated the trading of patents and market penetration, increasing international competition led to negotiations between all the major companies to control and restrict their respective activities in order not to interfere in each other's spheres.
0: Like, uh, like any good monopoly.
1: Like any good monopoly. Yeah, these were all trusts. Or not all, but like so many of them were trusts. So were eventually... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the reason that I find this very interesting is that uh, someone brought this up to me recently that... Um, the 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 or not brought it up to me specifically, but uh, I heard about this this thing recently. Uh, how long do you think? Or not how long do you think. I'm sorry, Jeff. I, I didn't know. I wasn't sure I was going to do good with this topic. Give me a second to uh, figure out how to word this.
0: Hey, you know what? I ask you questions that you have no business knowing any respectable answer to all the time. And during the edit, I always feel so bad. Like, why would I even ask you this question? Like, there's a zero percent chance that you would have any respectable answer to give.
1: Well, sorry. I, pre- I appreciate that. but I, I think it's not I think, I'm very sorry. I think it's like yeah. our way of trying to rope each other in but you're fine
0: that's fine rope um, me in nick okay
1: so the reason i brought up earlier about how infrequently i have to change light bulbs and i also agree with you like swapping to leds just fixes the problem but even that withstanding i feel like i as an adult don't have to change light bulbs at all whereas as a teenager i felt like i had to change light bulbs all the time because parents just had me do it because i was the the boy right uh so as you should,
0: yeah you know
1: that's that's the gender norm that they were really <laughs> really striving for. You know what? Yeah, a f- a lot of all the things the... we
0: have to fight against these days, yeah, is the, you get up on the step these... ladder. You're the boy.
1: <laughs> all right, but um, but the reason I say this is that this cartel did, it instituted a uh, thing that we've talked about before on this, but they instituted maybe the first instance of it of planned obsolescence, Jeff, uh, <sighs> which I know you are really a big fan of.
0: Oh, yeah, super big fan. We definitely have talked about this. I feel like uh, just not necessarily in this context, but planned obsolescence. Yeah. Uh, zero out of 10 for for Jeff's opinions.
1: I want to give our, our listeners who maybe aren't as uh, much of nerds. Uh, I don't even know if that's a nerd only to- uh, topic at all. I'm, I'm just out of touch. Uh, but anybody who hasn't heard of planned obsolescence, a brief overview of what it is.
0: Yeah, I would happily do that. It's where you have a thing that can last for a very long time, such as, let's uh, consider, uh, let me pick some, a light bulb. And it would be able to be something that would last a very, very long time, but that would be very uh, profit prohibitive. And so you would be much more likely to come up with a... An object that definitely solved the problem, but only for a limited amount of time. And therefore, it could be resold and so on, and you make money for forever.
1: Yep, that's that is exactly right. Um, I won't belabor this super hard because I know we've already kind of gone longer with our earlier stuff. But um, suffice to say, in the early 1900s, uh, there was a ton of of innovation in the in light bulbs. There was a ton of different kinds of light bulbs that were coming out that uh, that increased the lifespan and brightness and power efficiency of light bulbs a ton. Just just a boatload. Um and one of the effects of this was that like you exactly like you just said, the light bulbs started lasting too long and the manufacturers were like, "Wait, hold on. Oh, yeah, not have these light bulbs lasting so long." Uh they'll um they'll freaking uh we will never be able to resell them a new light bulb <laughs> we'll never be able to sell them a new light bulb so uh the uh the phoebus cartel basically got together and decided like hey we are gonna stop uh we are gonna stop this uh, uh or we're gonna stop development of it we're gonna dial back how long our our light bulbs will last uh in 19 19- uh, 25 uh light bulbs were lasting on average from all com uh from all major manufacturers that were listed on- in here at somewhere in the range of about 2500 hours for an average life mm-hmm. light bulb which to me sounds like a lot for a light bulb in uh in the early 1900s like that seems disproportionately high to me um and so the phoebus cartel uh conspired to illegally criminally uh dial back production of uh, or not production uh the output of these of these uh light bulbs to an average lifespan of about a thousand hours um let me read you a couple quotes from this article that i was reading about it uh the details of this effort have been very slow to emerge in the archives we found meticulous correspondence between the cartels factories and laboratories which were researching how to modify the filament and other measures to shorten the lifespan of their bulbs they didn't just want to make bad products they wanted to have excuses for why they were making bad products um, but each factory bound by the cartel agreement and there were hundreds including GE's no- numerous licensees throughout the world had to regularly send samples of its bulb to a central testing laboratory in Switzerland there the bulbs were thoroughly vetted against the uh, cartel standards if any factory com- submitted uh, bulbs lasting longer or shorter than the regulated lifespan for its type the factory was obliged to, uh, to pay a fine Jeff I want to show you a, a picture here, real quick. Um,
0: or actually two pictures. Sorry.
1: Uh, to head on over to chat here.
0: Okay. Okay, we can do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, I just while you're while you're pasting this into Discord, yeah. Um, I actually know a lot about this topic, and I'm very excited to talk to you <laughs> about a couple things. Oh, uh, dude,
1: yeah. Let me let me into your world. Let me. But no, 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 world.
0: no, 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 not yet, not yet. Kay. I wanna I wanna hear. It. Okay. So.
1: These are two images from a Oh wow! A, from a I don't know cartel. I've seen these. Uh, uh, wait, you have?
0: No, I don't know that I've. I, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know that I have seen these. This is very so interesting.
1: These are two images from a penis cartel
0: lab where they were testing
1: and ensuring that the the their light bulbs were all living up to a low enough standard. Jeff, think about how much resources went into this to make these products worse. These people brand companies where they are objectively spending money and co- coordinating to make their products worse together It's the stupidest thing this is the dumbest lowest level criminal nonsense i can even imagine <laughs> it's the stupidest thing and it's the dumb- it, yeah
0: it really really is um here's my and maybe this is where you're going yeah um Have you seen this uh, graph before? Uh, For our listeners, this is the cost of lighting over time uh, during the same period where we figured out how to make it extremely more efficient. Oh, jeez. I'll let you know that's the cost that it was to do it, not what we actually charged people. That's...
1: uh, Yeah, go
0: ahead. (laughs) Uh, I'll just for the people listening at home... um, It went from around 10,000 pounds Um, to like nothing. Honestly, (laughs) quite, like quite honestly, quite honestly, the answer is nothing. It went from 10,000 pounds to nothing, but we still certainly found ways to monetize it.
1: Yep, um, that's per that's per million lumen hours uh, in in this thing. But basically, I mean, a million lumen hours is a long ass. That's a lot of electricity.
0: Yeah, and Nick, um, if you look at the that is the uh, logarithmic uh, graph I sent you. If you look at the actual like raw numbers, here's what it looks like. It is even more dramatic.
1: Uh, As I was gonna say, stand,
0: s- stand by, podcast listeners. Um, have a comment, okay? Well, I can uh, already.
1: It's going to be comical. It's going to be a straight. <laughs> in 1900, it's just a flat line forward of like it's nothing. It costs yeah, nothing. Yeah, no,
0: it was it was nothing like compared to anything. Like by all estimates, it it cost us nothing.
1: I know you can probably picture this, but you're you're and uh, or maybe you'll be shocked to learn that as the uh, the light bulbs that they the phoebus cartel produced uh they all started being cheaper to produce because they didn't last as long and somehow the prices went up for the consumer we, it's a strange thing how that happens wow but,
0: crazy that's wild because <laughs> it appears to be zero dollars
1: <laughs> <laughs> nothing to produce for the yeah.
0: consumer or, sorry i'm sorry it costs zero to manufacture but yeah, no, tell me about how, how we've exploited people over the years. Cause like, I, I know that to be a fact, like I've known it. I don't know to, I don't know all the details, but like, I do know that we have done a bad job of, of equitably uh, distributing the cost of lighting for yeah. everybody for quite a while.
1: Yep. I mean, there's, uh, it's, the, the, there's no fun resolution to the Phoebus cartel. There's no fun anything. They All of these companies were eventually, not all of them, but many of these companies were eventually uh, uh, criminally charged or civilly charged or whatever in their own countries um, and investigated further for collusion. But they broke up in World War II because of the lack of ability to like, uh, because one of the major ones of these was a German company. One of the major ones was a Japanese company. Um, but one of the, uh, and so the, their excuses for why these things happened were always silly. It's like, uh, you know, there's greater power consumption to create brighter, more, or whatever the hell lights. And they, they claimed for a long time that they didn't actually reduce the, the, uh, the lifespan that that was, uh, you know, uh, they, they, uh, God, there's some, there's some quote in here, I believe, but they, they basically were claiming that they didn't reduce the lifespan. The lifespan actually has gone up. You're crazy. They're just gaslighting people. Um, they also, though, one of my favorite things was that. Um, so the companies were trying to control the amount that each company would could sell, uh, or the the cartel was coordinating and uh, limiting how much each company could sell in each uh, region. And companies were fined for exceeding their sales quota, which were constantly being adjusted, uh, which I thought was good. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and uh, let me find the pretext for this co- this quote here because it's a it's a really funny one to me in my mind, uh, referring to the lifespan of of the the bulbs. They dropped from 2,500 uh, hours down to a thousand, uh, so a little more than a third. There were continual reports of cartel members' attempts to restore the burning time of their bulbs to the old levels in defiance of the watchful eyes of Phoebus. At one point, some members surreptitiously introduced longer-lived bulbs by designing them to run at voltage higher than the standard line voltage. After the Phoebus Development Department's customary report of voltage statistics revealed such product enhancements, quote, uh, <laughs> Anton Phillips, head of Phillips, complained to an executive at International General Electric, This, you will agree with me, is a very dangerous practice and is having (laughs) a a most detrimental influence on the total turnover of the Phoebus parties. After the very strenuous efforts we made to emerge from a period of long-life lamps—what a terrible thing to get around. What a terrible thing. It is of the greatest importance that we do not sink back into the same mire by paying no attention to voltages and supplying lamps that will have a very prolonged life. Jeff— these guys were so dumb and stupid that like their own companies were like, we should just make longer life battery or light bulbs, right? Like we should just make light bulbs that are better. We can make light bulbs that are better. And then they had to like crack down on it. And, like this is the dumbest, most like anti-competition nonsense of like, oh my God. And it's perpetrated by these big ass companies that are all still around. And were are like, oh, my. it's just the dumbest, dumbest conspiracy I've ever heard about. And I hate it.
0: <laughs> also, if you want to read more about uh, sometimes companies are dumb, uh, you can read Animal Farm 1984 or Slaughterhouse Five. <laughs> those,
1: weren't, those weren't explicitly companies all the time. No, all the they time. weren't.
0: Although you'll find plenty of examples of that. Nick, we should probably call this, uh, call probably this a sh- podcast. probably at this point. should. Um, we, after this, are going to go record our Patreon only podcast the year we started another podcast. Another podcast. If you can believe it, if you can believe it. Um, If you want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Tyosap. You can, oh, nope, that's the part that you talk about. Nick, go ahead.
1: (laughs) You can can also follow us (laughs) on Tyosap on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube. Uh, You can also find all of that at tyosap.com.
0: Do you want to read my part too? (laughs) Uh,
1: Nick, thank you for potting with me.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. This has been the Year We Started a Podcast. Thank you for listening. (laughs) for idiots